Hey everyone, welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Mike Lewis and Doug Battle brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Doug, so much unimportant stuff to talk about <laughs> in the world of sports this week. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, should we part ways with Taylor Swift? You know what? I kind of want to part ways with Taylor Swift. I don't care about the romance, but the movie. Mm-hmm. And what did you tell me? The movie was the victor at the box office this week? I don't know if it's the victor. It's the it's going to break the record for a concert film in theaters. So it's I think the number I saw was like over 120 mil, which for reference. It's got number one, right? I mean, what else is out there? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like that Flower Moon movie doesn't come out for a couple of weeks with DiCaprio by Scorsese. I, I haven't heard any buzz about any movie but Era. So I imagine... Number one, I just my prediction last week was that it'd be number two for the year. I'm like, I don't know about that. We'll see. We'll see. I forgot about some other movies in the mix, but yeah, fans. I saw videos of <laughs> of the concerts where the everyone's in the front of the movie theater, standing up like they're trying to be on the front row, dancing and jumping and stuff. It's like typically at a movie theater, that's the last place you want to be. I thought about going, Mike. Last week we talked about going. And I saw the runtime was like three and a half hours. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Can I do that? Can I go to that movie by myself for three and a half hours? Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. It, it's to, I think. I, it, two hours I was down for. I was going to go last night. But when I saw the runtime, I was like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't th- I think football fans are sick of it. SNL did a whole bit about how... The people who are sick of it are also the people who keep bringing it up, which is you and me. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's okay. But in fairness, if we weren't doing a show about fandom and the analysis of fandom, I would be paying very little attention 100%. to Taylor yes. Swift and Travis Kelsey, and I would also be mad about it. So, or I'd be I'd just be annoyed by it. But we kind of talked about Travis Kelsey and his. You know, oh, is this a good thing for him? Does he know what he's doing? He knows what he's doing. He literally made a cameo mic on SNL. Like, actual Travis Kelsey was in the skit about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift on Saturday Night Live. So he's milking the thing. He's milking yeah, okay. it. Didn't that sort of make it worse, him showing up for that? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's you're riding the wave, but... You know, it just feels more and more like a publicity stunt when it you does. do that. It does, yeah. and... His like going on his brother, you know, going on his podcast and saying like, you know, we want privacy and and we want to be respectful of Taylor and the fact that this is two people's real lives and all this stuff. And then going on Saturday Night Live and kind of making a mockery of it is, yeah, it, it does feel like a publicity stunt, particularly with the timing for for the film and the amount of a film, by the way, which has had very little marketing on very little advertising. It was announced like a month ago. And the marketing has pretty much been Travis Kelsey. I I guess on some level, it's my favorite story of the year, right? Because the Swifties are revealing themselves as the most thuggish fan base in North America, right? I mean, they don't compare to the European soccer hooligans, but they're like taking names. What was it? One, One girl gave Kelsey a bracelet that says, you're on the map. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're willing to get mad. They're willing to take it all sorts of places. <sighs> it's a cult, Mike. It's a cult. The more our, we, we've been comparing them to fandoms and it doesn't really, uh, the, the parallels 
come to an end at some point and the extremes come to an end where they took it further. And it's like, this isn't a fandom. This is a cult. I would guess that they would, you know, maybe from the safe distance of the internet would happily lay down smack with like the old Oakland Raider fans from the black hole. Yeah. Right. I mean, they seem totally engaged and, and haven't helped someone say something negative about Taylor Swift, right? They're, they're all in. They are the premier fan base and she's the biggest star in America and they are the premier fan base at the moment. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I'm still kind of bummed. We're not getting the Super Bowl with her this year, but like I said, a while back, we would have a stadium full of people in bracelets and cowboy hats and pink yeah. dresses for the Super Bowl. They would buy out every ticket just for like the halftime show and they'd leave a halftime. We'd have an empty fourth quarter. When your Georgia Bulldogs went up to Notre Dame or the Pittsburgh Steelers fans went to Atlanta yep. and, you know, tur- turn the, you know, change the color of the, of the arenas. I think, I think it hard would, to imagine. But. Yeah. It, if, if any fan base was going to do it, it would be hers for the Super Bowl. So you mentioned my Georgia Bulldogs a little bit, you know, not in the best spirits, best of spirits right now with uh, Brock Bowers having an injury as our, it seems like every time we have a players in like their their big like last season at Georgia, it gets cut short or it gets you know at some point they end up missing games. And I've been every week just like happy that we're staying healthy with our main guys, but it's a bummer bummer to see that happen. And college football, you know, kind of being wide open this year. USC losing this week. <laughs> Caleb Williams getting trolled pretty hard by a fan on the field. Mike, I'm not gonna lie, I was surprised not to see hands thrown on that one yeah do you think he was drunk the fan yeah statistically if he was a student in the student (laughs) section at a college football game Notre Dame I don't know if that oh that's true (laughs) the the, statistically it goes down as drunk as some of the previous fans on the field have seen this the Ole Miss kid yeah, I, 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 that's the one I'm thinking of. We had an LSU guy on the field this week, which is like an annual tradition, apparently. Like in the middle of the game, not not yeah. celebrating the win. Yeah, that was he was making fun of his fingernails, taking selfies with. <laughs> which it's I I respect it. I actually stormed the court. A little fandom story here, reminding everyone that as much as I analyze the fans, I I have been and <laughs> it's kind of like. I, you know, in, in NFL broadcasting, they have all the former NFL players come on to talk about it because they're the experts they know firsthand. I'm that guy with fanalytics. Like, I used to be the guy that stormed the court, so I can come on here and, and well, talk about it as an expert. Something in academia called me search. Yes. Where yeah. focus on themselves. And so, yeah, I, the, you know, the, the self-reflection. research. The self-reflection is a helpful part of the yeah. show. For so I stormed the court. Virginia basketball upset. Clarifying question. Wait, this was Virginia versus Duke. Yes. Okay. So you are not wearing shoulder pads at a basketball game. I, no, I, I have done that, Mike, <laughs> for Georgia basketball games. For the annual, Georgia gets ahead on Kentucky and ends up losing by one point at the end tradition that we have at georgia but no this was at virginia i was in high school i went to uva for a visit my brother was in school there you stormed the court on a a college visit it's it's written in your dna doc you want to know it gets better than that i can't believe i haven't told you this before so i kid you not i i planned my visit around this basketball game because i was like if i'm gonna go you know if i'm comparing 
UVA with UGA and some of these other schools I was looking at, I was like, I got to get the like height. Like I got to see what they can offer that the other schools can't. And one thing they can offer is ACC basketball. <laughs> like <laughs> academically, I was interested in as well. But I, I was like, well, I want to have fun with it too if I'm going to go up there. So playing my trip around the Duke game, brother got me a student ticket. You know, we sh- and I was like, I'm just going to treat it like I'm a student. So we get in. I this is before, obviously, before I'm a Spice Squad member at Georgia. So, but I still had that level of just passion in me. So I go down front row with my brother for this UVA basketball game. I kid you not, Mike. We go back to Virginia like two years later. I think you know my brother's graduation, or I was up back on campus. There's a mural at JPJ, the basketball arena, a mural on the wall of the student sh- section. And sure enough, who's front and center leading the charge? But yours truly, who visit, who was only there on a on a campus visit, not a student, had no no ties. So I don't know if that's still up, but it was there, and my family got such a kick out of it. But anyway, we stormed the court after the game. I mean, you know, we almost need something for like. I mean, that's that's like almost Hall of Fame level of amazing. But pointless achievements. Yeah. Well, my other one is like they sell prints of me as a Georgia fan. Like there's somebody's man cave in Georgia has like a big blown up picture on the wall of me. <laughs> so recognizable though or fully dreadlocked. No, not recognizable at all. Not recognizable at all. I in college I was at a friend's and they had a picture on their fridge and it was them with one of the crazy spike square guys. And it was me and they didn't know it. Like I they had apparently we'd gotten a picture before I'd known these people. And I was like, hey, look, I'm on your fridge. And they were like, oh, that's funny. And I was like, no, that's like me. And they they, they really didn't know. So what was part of it? Not only, I mean, obviously you put a lot of effort into that. But <laughs> yeah, too much. Tall. Well, but I mean, look, if I remember sort of the look, there was some added height. And if you're six foot four, were you like six foot six? Yeah, I was pretty, yeah, I, mean, I was a giant for sure. But yeah, so getting back to my original story, sorry not to uh, do too much me search here, but getting back to my original story, storm the court at on the Duke game. And I was because partially because I wasn't and I have pictures of this, but partially because I wasn't a UVA student, I was like I was kind of there for Duke, you know? Like I wanted to see Duke lose, but I was there for Duke. And it's kind yeah. of, and it's that anti-fandom. And so when everyone stormed the court, when we when we ran onto the court, everyone ran straight to the middle of the court to celebrate with the UVA players. I did the opposite. I ran directly to the Duke bench <laughs> because I wanted to see how Hold tall. On, I, I want to ask questions and all this. I mean, you want you're saying you want to see how tall you were. You had no conversation starters in mind on the run up over there. No, I literally I, I didn't say anything to him. I just ran up. I, I got real close to Mason Plumley, and I was like, whoa, he's so tall. Like, I, you know, and then Coach K, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's Coach K. Like, this is crazy. And then, so I kind of had my fun running over there. And afterwards, I remember, <laughs> I remember going home and turning on ESPN, and Coach K was, I mean, he was really mad about player and coach safety concerns because he was saying <laughs> that there were people running toward them. And that they felt threatened. And I was like, my bad. My bad, coach. I really I had no intention of making you feel threatened. I just wanted to be up close and personal next to a legend. So and 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 but then we ran and we celebrated with with the players. It was Joe Joe Harris, 
a couple pictures on the court with him. And yeah, it was a good time. But all that to say is that I admired this, this fan this week um, running up to Caleb Williams, this Notre Dame fan, not going to Sam Hartman, you know, not, not going to the, the coach of Notre Dame, but going straight to troll the other team's player. And while he's, and I, my hat's off to Caleb Williams because I got to say, I don't like that kid. I think he's a punk, but it, I imagine it took a lot of self-restraint not to throw hands. We saw last year Jermaine Burton punch a girl. We saw earlier this year the, what was it, LSU or Ole Miss security guard that, that decleated a, a fan running on the field. We saw LSU player punch a fan this year on the field and again in the comments it's always oh that's fair game they're asking for it this guy was really asking for it like i'm not usually one to say they were asking i don't think the tennessee girl was asking for it this guy was asking for it and caleb williams took it like a champ so it was like his i earned he earned a little respect in my eyes a bad trend right i mean given the goals of social media yeah you want to go viral you got to engage with the uh, opposing team right and And it's got to be the celebrity on the field right it's got because no one cares about even that LSU kid that punched the dude is like, I don't know who that is. But like this is the Heisman winner, Caleb Williams. You know, he's in the he's in the ads. You rush a you rush the field at a Colorado game and you get to Dion or Shadow. <laughs> you're trolling Dion Sanders. And you are I mean, but you're you're going viral on that with no, you know, with, with no doubt whatsoever. And these kids have no um, I don't know. There's, I, I've been in student sections, obviously, <laughs> and it's like you, you don't have a lot of respect for the other guys. I've got another one for you. I've got another, another story that comes to mind. Story time. <laughs> so, Georgia, my senior year, loses to Auburn. Oh, Georgia's having an undefeated season. It feels like this magical year. We go to Auburn on the road. Auburn's having a really good year too. They lost two games though at this point, so they were on the fringe of being eliminated from the SEC championship, you know, college football playoff. Georgia's highly favored, goes into Auburn, gets absolutely spanked <laughs> on Auburn's field. I'm there. I went to every game that year. I'm there. It was an amazing atmosphere. I've always uh, spoken highly. As much as I dislike the program at Auburn, they're, they're, they have quite the environment. They, they should take should be very proud of the atmosphere they create on Saturdays for those big games. And they had one of those days. It was just magic in the air in that stadium, and, and everything went their way. So Gus Malzahn yells out, we beat the dog crap out of him. And it gets caught on camera. And I'm sitting there like, I mean, good for you, but does he realize that if things work out, if Auburn keeps winning, they're going to play Georgia literally in three weeks in the SEC championship game? And sure enough, that's what happened. Auburn beat Alabama, SEC championship game, Georgia wins. It felt like karma for Georgia fans. And so I'm at the national championship game. Georgia's playing Alabama. So two teams that lost to Auburn uh, about to face off. And who does ESPN bring in to, to discuss and you know analyze these teams? But the guy who beat both of them, Gus Malzahn. So you have to understand, Auburn, if you're not in SEC country, Auburn isn't particularly loved by Georgia fans or Alabama fans. In fact, they're they're kind of like the enemy. <laughs> and so 
I'm walking into the game. Donald Trump was there and this was right, I believe, right before his inauguration. And so security was absurd at this game getting in it took like three hours to get in the gate i was almost late to the game and that never happens especially for a national championship game but security was terrible and i'm in this huge crowd it was it was raining outside i mean this huge crowd of georgia and alabama fans and there's this golf cart coming through and who is it but gus malzahn and a seat and he's kind of got his head down like he's a little ashamed of himself for you know he's kind of got his tail between his legs and I, my college self that had no respect for the opposing team and coach and, and probably not as classy <laughs> as, I, as I wish I had been. But I also was just a kid having fun. And I see him and I say, I, I was the only person in the crowd that recognized him. Everyone else was focused on getting in the game. And I say, hey, Gus. You beat the dog crap out of him, didn't you? And then everyone turned and looked at him, and then everyone started like jeering and like chanting and stuff. And he's just like trying to get out of there. And that's one where it's like, yeah, if that had been in the TikTok era, that would have would have probably gone viral. But it's like when you're when you're a college student in those situations, it's like the the easy target is the the losing opponent celebrity enemy guy. I am. I mean, at this point, would you have gotten the phone out? And I personally the, wouldn't have. I feel like somebody would have, though. And they're like, oh, here's Gus Malzahn getting wrecked by <laughs> a bunch of Georgia and Alabama fans. No, but I mean, like, would you, I mean, how close are we? I mean, in some ways, these these kids on the field or that move, it's almost like you're making content for someone else. Yeah. Are we getting to the point where people are just, you know, it's almost a distraction to have your phone out all the time, not to not live in the moment to harass. 100%. Oh, <laughs> 100%. Like I was, I caught myself the other day, like with a beautiful sunset and I was like taking videos of where I was. And then I was like looking down at my phone, rewatching the videos while wow, it's like the actual sunsets right in front of me. And I'm watching a video I just took of the sunset and I'm like, man, this is messed up. I got to stop doing this. But I think for some of these students, that's what it is, you know? And I think the, the Caleb Williams kid, he certainly, certainly was... I mean, he was living in the moment, but it was also like it was more about social media than anything else, which, to be fair, a lot of what I mean, we had to shoot. We had Sanders, you know, QB, QB one for Colorado posted on social media at halftime up 29 nothing last week trying to sell some merch. And let's go there. Right. I mean, yeah. Like I said, I mean, that that story is sort of I love that story now because it's gotten interesting. Right. It's all over the place. The SNL sketch was great, by the way. An epic law. I mean, I don't even know. How do we even character? The SNL sketch was great. I don't know how you characterize that, though. It was very well done. (laughs) Keenan Thompson, just, I don't know. It's something you got to see yourself. But kind of making fun (laughs) of the fact that everyone's acting as if Colorado has been this huge success and they're, you know, slightly above 500. (laughs) Uh, Just had an epic loss and and still on top of the world because they're, they're getting those NIL dollars. Yeah. And again, you know, it's, you know, I'm like the two biggest, Doug, I mean, in some ways, isn't it unfortunate that the two biggest football stories this year have been Taylor Swift (laughs) and Deion Sanders in Colorado? It is. is. It's like, it's, I think it's a little insulting to those of us who, who who take it seriously and who have, I mean, as like a, as a Georgia guy, it's like, you know, you have, your team's number one and has won like 25 straight games and setting all these records and all anyone wants to talk about is this four and three 
Colorado team. And I'm sure for like Chiefs fans who, which again, it's like they're the, they're the phantom directly impacted. They're in the middle of their Bill Belichick, Tom Brady dynasty run. And like, you know, all we talked about in that run was Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And, and right now it's like the Chiefs are almost like a sideshow in terms of the coverage. Uh, and yeah. so, yeah, it does kind of like dilute the feeling it's of always, importance. It's and I, importance might, you know, I mean, none of this is important, right? This is all entertainment. It's all silly. Yeah. But it, dilute, it dilutes the, the dilutes what it's of about. importance. Yeah, well, but it, it dilutes, you know, kind of the core product and just turns it into an entertainment thing. And it just and, and that's the that's the disaster. Right. I mean, look. A kid who is, you know, yelling at who is charging, you know, who's charging Duke at a school he doesn't go to or who is calling out Auburn's head coach. That is not a kid whose attachment is because, you know, his favorite musical artist was dating a, a, a favorite player, right? That's a kid. And like that, I said, Donald Trump was at that football game and nobody really cared about it. I mean, this is in Georgia. This is in a, a pretty crucial state, obviously, in the last election, but uh, this was years before. And, it was like, and everyone was kind of irritated that him being there. Even his his supporters, obviously, there's going to be a lot of supporters there and a lot of haters and all the rest. But it was kind of this consensus that like, man, now we got to wait in this long line and I might be late to the game but just because the president's here. Because someone's doing a photo op. Yeah. Right? And he wants to be on the field and do that. And it's like, yeah. And then like, I remember at the national anthem, he, he came on the field, he, he walked on the field at that game and it was kind of like, everyone was like, do we cheer? Some people were thinking, do we boo? I don't know. Just get to the game. We don't really care. We don't really care about like politics, you know, political season's over. That's none of us want to think about that <laughs> right now. And so it was really interesting seeing that. And and I don't think the cameras like I haven't rewatched that game. I don't know if they even showed him beyond like one cut, but it just wasn't a it wasn't a huge deal because everyone was so focused on the game and the stakes of the game. And it seems like we've gotten away from that. The actual college football season is and I think we are in a little bit of a uh, conflict's not the right word, but uh, our projections for this, where the seasons are going, I think are very different. I think Alabama is going to start to just roll up that top 10 yeah. to the point where it's going to be the SEC championship will be a battle between two top five teams. And this is, you know, for how chaotic this season started, we're going to roll into the kind of that same old SEC dominant story. Uh, you know, we had another big game. We had Oregon versus Washington. Yep. Fun game. Oh, yeah. Fun game. And I don't know if I'm biased because of, you know, Bo Nick's inability to beat Georgia, Georgia in the SEC. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't, you know, it, my gut feel in terms of looking at all this stuff is we're we're kind of, and in some ways, you know, I think we have got Ohio State and Michigan maybe at two and three at this point. Yeah, this is like the the like the pivotal season for getting to these two super conferences. I think. Yeah, and you know, inevitably, Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other, and it's highly likely that Georgia and Alabama play each other. And so <sighs> the Georgia, the Georgia Alabama situation, I think it got a lot more interesting objectively not as a Georgia guy, objectively with that Bowers injury, not because it makes Georgia vulnerable. They've been vulnerable, but because yeah. a Georgia loss 
with it almost feels like in the eyes of the playoff committee, a Georgia loss without Brock Bowers counts as like a half loss. So let's say Georgia and Alabama make that that SEC championship and Alabama wins that. The other thing that's happened, Doug, is Alabama's quarterback almost has a redemption arc here, kind of this rags to riches story. Jalen Hurts was like that kind of. Yeah, which makes it even more, you know, because I what I think they showed a stat that Georgia's won forty out of forty one of the last yeah. games. Yeah, yeah, right. No one wins. No one wins them all. It's well, like, that one. Said, that one was to Alabama too. I was there. We're gonna we're gonna have this countdown to where we tend to end up. You know, the the Big Ten, Ohio State plays Penn State this week. You know, that's th- that's number three versus number seven. It, it looks like. So the Big Ten's about to go into their their little, you know, everyone beats everyone for a moment and maybe one team emerges. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, this has taken shape and it took a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think your prediction is coming much more true than mine. I mean, I, I my prediction with Oregon was obviously off. I kind of hate it for Dan Laney because they really, they, they could have and it feels like they probably should have won that game. And they don't, I don't think you get as much margin for error in the Pac-12. Oregon came out in uniforms that looked like they were speckled with paint or mud and shiny silver helmets. What did you think of those? I think it's just at this point, it's just Oregon being Oregon. I can't really with the old because they switch uniforms like every game. What do they do with the old ones? They just that's a good question. Like every Oregon like, fan has them? like in the you would think they. Yeah, what do you wear to the game? Are there any two fans in the stadium wearing the same jersey? Like I'm not saying like, the same player's jersey. I'm just saying like the same like color, okay. <laughs> like the same. If this was Georgia and you had a, a house and a basement, and you had the opportunity to buy game worn jerseys that are only used once, yeah, I think you'd have five or six mannequins down there at this point, fully dressed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Oregon, you could have a you could have a whole football team worth. You could just have like a, a locker room down there. But yeah, but getting back to the prediction, your prediction about. You know what else is happening? This Tennessee at Alabama, 17 versus 11. Woo! Oh, oh man. See, that's for. I mean, I, I guess game day got to go to Ohio State on this one. I Yeah. But I think Alabama and Georgia both have like the most fortunate schedules this year because I think both teams are so vulnerable. And yeah. yet you look at how it plays out and Bama, like every losable game, including Texas, but every losable game is at home for Alabama. And I think it, like it, if Alabama was playing LSU on the road, I would pick LSU. If they were playing Tennessee on the road. I would pick Tennessee. If they played Ole Miss on the road, I would have picked Ole Miss. Like they, you know, all those games just so happen to be at home this year, which is very, very fortunate. Arkansas this last week at home, you know, squeeze out a three point win. And, and Georgia's in a in a similar boat, with the exception of now Georgia's got to play Tennessee on the road without Brock Bowers. That that game just feels like, you know that. The, and uh, you know, yeah. like something's waiting to happen there. And uh, outsider, it doesn't even feel like Georgia's season has started. It's a no. very, you know, it, it's it's a strange thing for the number one team in the country, but it feels like they're no. just kind of going they, motion. Yeah, I think the Kentucky game was like a real game, but that's the only one they've had. And they've yeah. got the bye week, and then they've got like four straight weeks of like actual games, yeah. and now they don't have their best <laughs> player. So, let me clarify that, and I think what I mean by that. There hasn't been this kind of SEC level of intensity, mm-hmm. right? Of LSU at night, yeah. or you know, 
you know, a hundred thousand people like dancing and stomping their feet. I mean, even Auburn was, Auburn was kind of viewed that way, but it's like, this is a, the, like a really bad Auburn team. And even Auburn fans knew it going into that game. So it wasn't like this fired up fan base. That's just, they think this is their year, right? It was a team that was like, well, maybe we'll get lucky and something crazy will happen. Uh, (laughs) So not, not quite the same. But as for your prediction, it's like, yeah, I could see, first off, Alabama's, they don't have a lot of margin for error. Although, even let's say they were to lose to Tennessee, right? That's still, that's, you got to remember in the SEC, that's a one loss Alabama team. Texas isn't in the SEC yet. So they still probably, because Tennessee's not in their division, they still control their own destiny as far as the SEC championship. And then let's say they beat Georgia in the SEC championship. Does Alabama become the first two-loss team to make the college football playoff at that point? Because it's like, I mean, with wins over LSU, Ole Miss, and Georgia, I think they would. And so it's like, no matter what happens, it feels like they're there, you know? (laughs) And Or at least whoever wins that SEC championship. And on the flip side, like with Georgia, you know, if they – if they lose one of Tennessee and Alabama SEC championship, if they lose one of those games, I almost feel like they get a pass if they win the rest of their games because Bowers is out. Yeah. And it's like, well, they won every game. They were number one and they lost one game, assuming it's close or you know competitive and they didn't have their best player. He's going to be back. And this is a top four team. So it's like you could see two SEC and a down year for the SEC where I don't know that they have two top four teams. You could still see several scenarios where two teams are in the college football playoff from the SEC. And the beautiful thing is we can project this out from here, right? I mean, we can we, we can see the narratives already starting to, to form. And like the desperation of, you know, the ACC trying to get, you know, a, a team in there or the Pac-12 trying to get a team yeah. in there and, and just struggling against – I don't know, the, the power, the political power and pull of the Big Ten and the SEC. Can you just imagine Alabama with two losses at home in games in which they were favored, making it over, a let's say, a one-loss Florida State? Or Yes. <laughs> it's just like, but on the flip side, can you imagine, let's say Florida State goes undefeated. You know, in all honesty, Doug, I think a two-loss Alabama team, they leave them at home. I, I think they just... Well, but you know, SEC champion went over LSU, yeah. and I think they leave them at home just because they don't want to deal with that. And they, you know, and and on some level, you know, they I think they always want more teams in the college football yeah. playoff. So I well, let's I, okay, let's say that happens. Can you imagine an SEC champion not making the playoff, but maybe the runner-up does? Yeah, no, I, I, I look, I'm not. Doug, I am not here, and you should know this by now. I am not here to talk about what's right and wrong, right? I'm here to talk about sort of what's going to happen because of the stories people there's want to some, tell. There's some crazy scenarios right now. These are some crazy scenarios. I mean, I, I, I think that's my personal favorite. Alabama gets left. SEC champion, two-loss Alabama gets left out, and left out. Georgia makes the playoff with their one loss being to Alabama in the SEC championship. And, and what's great about it, right, is and then Georgia probably rolls over a couple of teams and the Alabama fans get to just smugly look at you Georgia fans and go, 
Yeah, we beat you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that was Auburn in, in 2017, but, you know, because they beat Alabama and Georgia. Alabama beat Georgia in that championship. But I'll tell you, Mike, Auburn fans were not feeling good about that. Seeing your rival win a championship in a year in which you beat them uh, and you thought you eliminated them, uh, that's no fun. So I think as much as Alabama would would feel a little bit of pride in that, they still they would hate it. They would they would hate watching Georgia win a championship after yeah. after beating Georgia. Okay, we could switch to the pros, or we got one more college football story. Calling it a college football story is an absolute stretch, Doug. Okay, what do you got? Is this a surprise for me? Okay, so I want to get the exact number here, so let me go to my phone for a second. Iowa put 55,646 fans into their football stadium into their football stadium to see a women's basketball game. I, of I, Kate I did see this. I, I think this goes to show the power of Caitlin Clark, right? I don't, you know what? Jeff I'm going to, you know, I've already done this. <laughs> so I may as well say out there, right? I mean, this, is, I, I have enormous doubts about the advisability of kind of script writing and publicity stunts to build a sport. I mean, obviously Caitlin Clark is Larry Bird and Angel Reese is Magic Johnson and they're going to, well, I'm, I'm not saying it's true, Doug. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying that that's the story. That's the script. They seem to be going for, you know, I was sitting there and, you know, oh, look at all this attention Nebraska got by putting 90,000 people at a women's volleyball game. Our football stadium's not that big, so we can't do that, but we can set the record for a women's basketball game. And look, Caitlin Clark has something. I don't, I, I don't even know. What, what's the right word to describe Caitlin Clark? She's hilarious watching her play, right? She's, she's hitting these NBA-length three-point shots. Yeah. But the facial expressions are crazy, right? And so this was something that I think organically caught on during the NCAA tournament. But then, you know, it's like there's this effort to leverage this and to create a, a broader story to do something. That's where I, I, I run into, you know, I, I, it's troubling to me. And I'll, and I'll tell you why it's troubling to me. So going into this college basketball season, Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese and their budding rivalry, right? I mean, geez, can you imagine the the bracket people trying to make sure that they can meet? Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not going to meet in a semifinal game, right? Okay, can you tell me? So the two highest profile college basketball players in the country are playing for women's teams, potentially, right now uh, at least. I think absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And. And so uh, no judgments being made here, but that's a conscious decision by media companies in terms of the storylines to advance. And so that's a, we're in we're in a different kind of position where all this emphasis is getting, you know, pushed towards, you know, growing the WNBA game and this this kind of supports that with these two ladies coming into the the league next year. It's Almost a, you know, and look, they've it's become kind of a meme, right? Of the NFL is scripted, or here's the the scriptwriters are writing this stuff. It seems like the scriptwriters are actually engineering a lot of this stuff, and I don't know that that tends to play out. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, I think filling up the stadium is certainly one of those like, oh, let's break a world record, and a lot of people are there just to just for that to be a part of that. 
I would guess that on that Iowa campus, Caitlin Clark is the biggest star oh, yeah. on that camp. And so it becomes almost a thing of, well, what do you want to do? Let's go see Caitlin Clark. And I wouldn't be surprised if they fill up the, that arena for the women's basketball team basically the whole season. Now, is it almost like I'm going to the Colorado game, not because I care about football, because I want to see The Rock Deion and Sanders. whoever shows yeah. right? or, or the Swifties going to you know the, the Jets games because they might see Taylor in the press box, the Jets-Chiefs game. So – you know, again, we're we're doing something a little bit different, and, and look, I get it. I mean, you know, you're going to chase this stuff. The marketers want to chase this stuff. It sounds good, but is it, you know, is it kind of cheap calories? Right? Are these just carbs? Yeah, yeah, I, I think they're empty calories. Yeah, and with that said, Mike, I don't know if you saw the video or pictures of the stadium. Why in the world did they put the court on one end zone? Because you had. Essentially, yeah. if you're listening, the- has weird fascination with the children's hospital overlooking it. Oh, is that what it was? Because it was like a benefit thing. Yeah. I know it was a benefit game. That was one. I had two thoughts. I don't know the answer. It was one. Maybe it was that they wanted to do that. And the second one was maybe because they don't have enough capacity to break that volleyball record that they decided to do it in a way that made more sense for the viewership. So the end zone could essentially be, a, you know, a watching the game from midcourt i see I, I don't know. yeah it was that, just that, it was weird because typically like a final four game which is in basketball yeah. or which is in football stadiums they put the court in the middle and it's it is a little weird like because it's the court is so tiny compared to a football field and everyone's so far away in the audience and it's honestly probably a terrible experience to go to i haven't been but unless you've got like some really great seats you can't even see they look like ants like from even from like the first tier because you're so far away laterally and this was like that except the the court was in the end zone and so you know if you're sitting if if you bought your tickets and you think you're going to be at mid court and you're on the 50 yard line you're actually like 40 yards away from the court i, I mean i'm do you think there's those tickets i'm guessing those ticket, tickets are free no it was, a, it was that, a benefit they benefited that uh, you know children's hospital so they okay, somebody would, paid money. Yeah, general mission though, on something like that. I don't. Know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But it was anyway. I just looked at it and I was like, man, that's cool that they did that. But like, you've got probably fifty thousand people that can't see what's going on. I don't know. I've never been a fan of that. I've never been a fan of how they do the Final Four. I'm like, put it in an NBA arena, sell twenty thousand seats, and have a great atmosphere. Don't have you know a hundred thousand people that are sitting. 50 yards away from the action it's a tough thing i mean i you know because inevitably in the final four they'll have that one camera shot from the nosebleed seats and it doesn't even why would you even want to be there you can't you can't see anything (laughs) you can't see anything so this was this was kind of like that so i felt like the people were there to to say they were part of that you know to break that record Reminds me of when I was a faculty at Florida, taking buying like a six pack of basketball games and taking my kid out there. And my kid's too young for like you know three year old, but I want to expose him to this. And the seats are so bad; they're in the corner and they're in the the very last row. So the roof of the building is just like a foot over your head. Yeah, You're yeah. Sort of back there, and uh, bad seats are. I mean, you know, look, maybe with your level of fandom, bad seats work, but they work. Yeah, I, I, I've sat in all kinds of nosebleeds for to to 
get into the games I want to go to. But and, and as long as I can see it. But with basketball, it's different because because in a basketball arena, there's not a bad seat in the house. Like it, you could go to, you know, any any NBA, any college arena. You can see everything from anywhere. But you put a basketball court in a football stadium, different ball game, different experience. Yeah, and and most people aren't. Mo- it's like typically there's not a bad seat in the house. I don't know if there's a good seat in the house because even if you're on the front row, you're like thirty or forty yards away from the end of the court, you know, at the baseline or at the sideline. And so it's it's just an interesting choice, I guess, to do it that way. I guess they can sell the tickets and because people want to just be in the atmosphere. But what kind of atmosphere is it? You know, when nobody can can see what's going on. That's my my critique of basketball games on football fields. Okay, Doug, NFL. What are we? Season starting to take shape. It's weird, um, Mike. It's like they were talking on ESPN last night. And they're like, "Yeah, week seven. I'm like, "Week seven? I thought football just started. You know, it feels like week three or something. It's really kind of flying by." Well, I mean, it's a Dolphins kind of year. Yeah. Uh, it's a Dolphins Chiefs kind of year. It's a Detroit Lions, Philadelphia Eagles, San Francisco 49ers. You know, it's. I, I, I mean, I don't know. You know, what what is what's what's sort of striking in this kind of the middle of the season stuff. I mean, what's sticking out to you? I mean, the Miami Dolphins, I think, have been the most social media friendly team. Uh, Mike McDaniel is, you know, you got to, you probably love to be a media person covering him in terms of the, the, the answers he's going to give you. It's, it's as sort of almost as negative as Belichick, but he's like doing it with a smile. Right. So there's there's a lot of fun there. Yeah. The team itself built with, I mean, it's almost, I, I think I mentioned this last week, almost annoying in terms of, oh, this guy ran 21.9 miles per hour, blah, 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 who cares? They're obviously the fastest team in the NFL. But Doug, they're also taking it to the next level in terms of celebrations. They're doing that. They're like every week, they they are quite inventive, not unlike Chad Ochocinco back in the day, but it's like they've got a full team of guys thinking like Chad Ochocinco, finding new ways to celebrate touchdowns. And so this week, the big one was Tyree Kill. It's always Tyree Kill, right? Last week it was giving the ball to a fan slash his mom. This week, running an end zone. It clearly had this planned. Hey, did you see, by the way, not to interrupt, did you see that he met up with the guy that originally took the ball and gave him another ball? Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. So it's definitely social media savvy as well. Yeah, very well. No, done. he's he's. Uh, I mean, ty, ty, guy like Tyree Kill. There's a lot of wide receivers. There's a lot of talented wide receivers in the NFL, and like you know, with quarterbacks, there's very few that are elite. With receivers, it seems like there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys that that can play at a high level, and like Tyree Kill has, he's like probably the household name receiver this year. Mostly because of, I mean, of course he's performing at a high level, but like I said, there's a lot of guys performing at a high level, but you know, Stefan Diggs, like I don't, I never hear about him. Like, or just some of these guys in the league, you don't hear about very much. Tyree Kill, you hear about every week because he's always doing something creative and he's always going out of his way to make a fan's day or to, you know, do something entertaining beyond his on-field performance. And so in this case, Going, taking a cell phone and, and doing his his backflip, landing it, sticking it on the field, catching on video, and of course, you know, it was just a matter of time before that ended up on on the internet. And but but 
they're they're finding them, right? But do they give a number? I don't know, but I think it's I think it's a business decision for him. I think it's an investment. A hundred percent, it's brand building. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's that's that's kind of one of the interesting things about all this stuff, right? It's been since Ocho Cinco, it's been brand building in terms of you know pulling the sharpie out of your yeah your, your son. Yeah. Yeah, so I love it. And my favorite though this week was was the Remember the Titans dance when they they got the they got a lot of the players on the team in there just doing a throwback to my favorite football movie, maybe my favorite sports movie. I think. I'm trying to think of a better one. Remember the Titans? Disney hasn't touched I mean, they haven't come close to that since <laughs> since that movie came out. One of the best soundtracks, one of the best casts, one of the best We've never done that. Do we need to do a Sports movie countdown. We do. Top 10. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about this. We just haven't actually put an episode together. But yeah, I remember the Titans is up there, and so seeing that callback, it's honestly amazing to me, Mike, that no one's done that celebration before. And so, yeah, but it's like everything the Dolphins do is like that. It's like, oh, why haven't we thought about that? Like, why why haven't players been giving the ball to their mom? Like, that's pretty cool. Why haven't you know? Why where's this been? Like. This it's all stuff that it's like we should have had this all along. Do you think part of it's that the nature? I mean, again, you know, it's hard to judge. I don't really like to judge people based on what we see publicly, but you know, you kind of get the sense that Mike McDaniel is kind of a coach that's going to allow that kind oh, yeah. of fun and creativity no, to flourish. So. He's like you know Steve Kerr in the NBA is like he very much encourages the players to have fun. Which is, it sounds so silly. It sounds very like, you know, elementary school basketball or something, right? Just go out there and have fun. But it's part of, like, I know with Kurt, it's part of his philosophy. He likes his guys to be loose. He thinks they play at the highest level when they're enjoying themselves and when they're creating. And when they're, and I don't think it's any surprise that Steph Curry is always dancing and <laughs> shooting crazy shots and warm ups, you know, shooting full court shots or shots from the locker room or whatever, or from the tunnel. And so I think it's that same, you know, I think the Miami part of their magic this year is that same mindset of we're going to play loose, we're going to be fast, we're going to score a lot of points, this is going to be fun. And we want our guys, we competitively, we think our guys are going to perform better. I'm sh- I, and I, I can almost guarantee you there's a sports psychologist on that team that where this is part of their philosophy. The guys are going to play at a higher level when they're not tense and when they're out there being mm-hmm. kids. And and you take athletes to that level and you set them loose. And they don't. They're not feeling pressure. They're they're just they're eager to get out there. They're wanting the ball. They're wanting the ball in their hands. They're wanting to get into the end zone. They you know I I think it's great and I think it's great for the sport. I think it's entertaining. Mike, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad. I know there's people who are sick of hearing about the Dolphins. I wouldn't be mad to see a, a Dolphins Super Bowl run this year in the playoffs. Okay. I think it'd be beautiful. You know the, the kind of the little piece of background on the Dolphins, though, right? The Dolphins are, you know, five and one, so kind of playing for home court, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. A team like that, I think you got to be a little bit nervous that cold kills speed in the playoffs. Right, and, and yeah. so they've got. Well, they got to get home. This, they got to get home field. Yeah, they've got to own the home field because you know it can get cold in Kansas City. It can get it can get cold in Baltimore. Uh, you know, and and like they're only one game ahead of Buffalo, so you know that that probably. I mean, think about that. This season could come down to that battle for the home field yeah. advantage. With that home field be, advantage being really probably decisive in well this i mean it's i think there's a huge difference between miami playing in miami in a afc championship game 
and Miami playing in Buffalo. (laughs) And so, and you look, you know, the Super Bowl's in Vegas. So they got, I mean, the Super Bowl's perfect for them. It's just a matter. I do think typically I'm not, I'm just like with, with my team, I'm like, just make the playoffs and then play your best ball. But I think a team like Miami, I, I do think they would have a huge benefit playing in Hard Rock Stadium in the playoff. Uh, beyond just crowd noise, but also with the the temperatures and conditions and the style of play for them. So, yeah, I, I think that's a great point, Mike. And I I would love to see it though. I think it I think they'd be such a fun team to see go on a run, especially after such a drought. You know, since the since their undefeated team. Hey, Doug, I would love to see that team have to go through Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be, you know, sort of, uh, you know, what a great part of the story. Okay, Doug, now I'm going to change. I could see them, like, having a snowball fight in the end zone after after yeah. scoring or, or, you know, the whole team making snow angels. Uh, okay, so the other one I want to – I don't even know if I should bring this up. So one of the stranger stories in the NFL from my perspective, and this is kind of getting into the weeds, is Kirk Cousins. You know, Kirk Cousins is number two in the league in passing yards – 14 TDs and four interceptions. Cousins actually almost has MVP-looking numbers. But the Vikings are two and four. Yeah. And I don't think the Vikings are in any particular hurry to re-sign Cousins. Yeah, it's funny. The the Vikings fans I know also are not in any particular hurry. They almost they talk as if it reminds me of when Matt Ryan was on the Falcons. They talk as if Kirk Cousins yeah, is what's holding great that he's like the average. He's a barely above average quarterback that's never going to get them to where they want to go. Right. So they talk about him like he's the one holding them back. And then you look at what he's done and it's like, wait, uh, there's something else wrong because you put this yeah. guy on a team. You know, the fact that they're two and four with the numbers he's putting up. I don't think that, I think that's over attributing win loss you know, percentage to the quarterback because his performance has been the giants would kill for quarterback, you know, for Daniel Jones to be playing at that level. Um, there, I mean, there's a lot of teams, you know, I, I think if you put him in San Francisco, the Niners have the same exact record and he's an MVP candidate and put him in Philly, put him in, you know, Kansas city, put him in Miami. There's something else wrong. And I, I think that there's, I, as much as I'm like, I don't think Kirk Cousins is the greatest quarterback of all time. Like, I, I agree that he's like kind of mediocre or kind of like slightly above average. Like, you know, he's he's at his best Philip Rivers and that is probably normal like Matt Ryan. That's a really good court. You could get the job done with a guy like that. I know those two didn't. But- Let's say this. Kirk Cousins is also one of the more fascinating players in the league in terms of because Cousins was the first guy that got one of these mega quarterback deals. And that deal is coming, you know, it's 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 running its course. And so what kind of money does Kirk Cousins make? What's the market like for Kirk, Kirk Cousins? If he's coming off a year where he's got something like 30 touchdown passes with eight interceptions and he's this thrown for the second most yards in the league, right? Does he get more like Jimmy G money than Joe Burrow money? Well, statistically, he's superior to like a Lamar Jackson, right? Look, statistically, I, I, I mean, even though like statistic- everyone and their mom would be more excited to have Lamar Jackson come to their team, 
because he's okay. I mean, specifically when I look, I'll, I'll, looking at the numbers, the one thing that he does wrong, and a lot of people don't talk about this this number very often, is he takes a lot of he takes a decent amount of sacks, right? And, and but he doesn't turn the ball over. I'm curious if that's an OL problem. Well, I, you know, and that's one of those things that we're never. Re- I, I think sacks taken has become kind of a strange number, right? Because you know, Tom Brady did not take a lot of sacks, even with a bad OL, right? You he was he's able to get yeah. out of it. Where you know, a running quarterback like you know, Justin Fields yeah. is going to take a lot of sacks because he's going to he's going to break the pocket and he's going to roll out of it and he's going to find a defensive. He always thinks he can at least get five yards rushing on any play. I think that's the mindset. And so mm-hmm. there's this tendency to not throw the ball away when you probably should. Yeah. But Cousins is, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I still think he'll demand a lot of money. Like, I, I think not only will he demand it, but like there's a market for it because you look at the league and you look at how many teams would kill to have a quarterback producing at the level that Kirk Cousins is for the Vikings. And so then it becomes a question of do the Vikings blow this up like with a, a you know, a, a pretty a team that's been competitive since they've had cousins, do they blow it up in hopes of getting the next Justin Herbert in the draft? Or, you know, I think if they lose enough games this year, I think that becomes a very serious conversation. And and another team that's in a really interesting quarterback situation is the Chicago bears because Justin Fields banged up. Uh, Yeah. Are you willing? If you're the Chicago bears, are you willing to give Kirk Cousins big money to take him away from your divisional rival? And and just on the flip side, like, you know, let's say, I mean, they have to make a decision on fields at some point. It feels like a small sample size because he hasn't done a lot of great stuff. And but But like I said last week, he right when you start to dismiss him or write him off as a bust, he'll do something great. He'll have a great week. And he had one last week. He got hurt this week. I don't think this is the end of his season, but let's say theoretically, if it were, do the Bears feel comfortable with him having, you know, two good games, four bad games? Do they feel comfortable saying this is our guy for the next decade? Do we want to lock him in? Or do they think- do they trade him? Do they let him go? Do they bring in a guy like Kirk Cousins if they could? You know, a Jimmy I don't think G he type? What what's what's Justin Fields' trade value at this point? I think there's some it's better than it was for like Josh Rosen when he when he got traded, you know, because he's had he's had his moments. And I think there's still people that see him and see what he can do and feel like, oh, in my system, this would work. Okay, now, I don't remember. I mean, I don't remember if Fields got hurt rookie year as well, but he's you know, he's missed games in the last two seasons now well, his, with well, people don't injuries. talk about this, but I don't know if you remember this. He was like in the draft, like at one point it was like, is it going to be Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields? And it was always like that. It was like that in high school. Who's going to be the number one quarterback. And then he slipped and we didn't know why. And it was like, you know, there was all the people would talk about race and people would talk about, you know, is it because he transferred from Georgia? Is it because, and as it turned out, there was, he had a medical condition, you know, that, that some folks were concerned about that he would have seizures or, or have issues that would keep him, you know, serious medical issues would keep him from playing football. And that was really the only knock on him as a prospect because he was like a perfect physical specimen. His body of work was super impressive. His combine was great. You know, all of his measurables were great. His, I mean, everything was great except for 
his health. Well, I'll, I'll go on. Look, Doug, I'm looking at the and look. Here's a here's a thought. I, I I've been you know I played a bunch of, around with a bunch of quarterback metrics, and you know I tend to like the touchdown to interception ratio. I also like to look at the increasingly. I find myself liking the sack count or you know ideally be sacks per per attempts right but doug look at sacks it it, who's leading the league in sacks taken this year it's sam howard at number one sam sam howell sam howell daniel jones you know i refuse to wear reading glasses daniel jones at number two justin fields at number three ryan Tannehill at number four russell wilson tied for number four desmond ritter also tied there those might be the fan. Those might be the quarterbacks whose fan bases are most unhappy this year. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So there may be a lot of information embedded in that sacks taken number, right? I mean, it can be indicative of a relatively slow release. It can be indicative of limited, you know, slow processing speed. Yeah, and essentially just sort of bad decision making in terms of when you sort of break the break the pocket because I, I look at those numbers and it's like maybe that's the only number you really need to look at well um, i wonder if you do on the opposite side i wonder if you look at the the fewest sacks taken guys and if it's you know i would imagine it's going to be mahomes josh allen you know those, those top couple justin herbert jalen hurts the cha- uh, let me look because the challenge here right is because there's a lot of guys that have thrown two passes and have not taken a sack. So yeah, if you um, filter, you know, people have played over a hundred snaps or something. Um, God, you know what's what's kind of fascinating about this? It looks like the top guy with a decent number of snaps is Baker Mayfield, then Patrick Mahomes, then Tua, then Jimmy G. So again, a lot of information in that one stat. Yeah, yeah, yeah I I think. It's just the tricky part is like having watched Daniel Daniel Jones, particularly in the games where the Giants haven't had Andrew Thomas, their starting left tackle. He has plays where he snaps the ball, and it's like the other the other team. If you're playing Madden, they did an engage eight, right? They sent eight guys, and the line blocks two of them, and he snaps the ball, and he is he is drilled by three different guys within two seconds or within a second and a half of snapping the football. And it's like, I don't know that Patrick Mahomes could survive that. I don't know. That, like, I don't know that Tua would survive that. I don't know that. So sometimes, it, I mean, well, Bryce Young's in a situation like that, I think, where I've seen a lot of plays where it's like, he doesn't have a prayer. It's always the quest, right? When you're trying to boil things down to one number. Yeah. You know, it, the, we're, with you a know, team the, sport. You're get, yeah, you're always going to get into some trouble. But it's, yeah. I think the fascinating thing, like in terms of sports analytics, is, really thinking through the information that's embedded in those numbers and how far those numbers, you know, a single number might, a single number might get you, right? Because it is, look, Kirk Cousins in general, he's, he's leading the league in touchdown passes. Mm-hmm. He's got relatively few interceptions. That usually translates to having a team that's going to go on a deep playoff run. Um, yeah, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if that team has a regression to the mean because they lo- they've lost some close football games. They haven't been getting blown out everywhere. They've lost some really close games. And oh, and- I got to – we are over an hour. So let's finish with one quick story. Okay. okay. It just won't end. You know, the Paul brothers are still fighting. So this weekend – People are still watching. 
Logan Paul beat someone named Dylan Danis. I maybe Danis. I don't even know. And that card also included Tommy Fury beating KSI. Why, Why are people still watching this? <laughs> I, I was talking to someone on Saturday, and I was like, "Oh, did you watch the? Did you watch the? It was a kid who who went to an SEC school, and I was like, "Oh, did you watch your team's game earlier?" And because I had, and he said, "Oh no, I was I was watching the Logan Paul fight," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I didn't. First off, I didn't know there was one. Secondly, like." <laughs> I didn't ask him. I should have, but it's like, why? Why does anyone care about that? Did he have an answer? So no, I didn't ask him. I should. I probably should have. I didn't want to be rude, you know. Like, what you watch isn't important. Which is so important. But, but, I, but I was like, you know, in my head, I'm like, it's so interesting that apparently there's still yeah. an audience for it. It's getting. It's 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 like gone all the way around. That now it's interesting that there is any remaining audience for and it. What I thought was, look, I don't know who KSI is, but I think maybe they've both fought KSI now. He, so KSI he, he was one of the first ones I remember fighting one of the Paul brothers. I just remember so that. He's how already in this universe, and Tommy Fury is also a reality star that's kind of in this universe. It's yeah, I mean, you're just shaking your head, and that's what I'm doing it inside my head. If it's but, gonna be like semi celebrities, like I want to see DiCaprio go up against you know i want to see people who like are a list right but like these guys it's like oh he has a youtube channel and he has a couple you know he's got some followers amongst gen z i'm like who cares like i I don't care i don't see him go up against a semi-professional boxer who was on a reality dating show i mean do these i look i would have thought we would have reached the point where there is only one fight that people want to see and that's paul versus paul or Paul versus an actual professional that's going to knock him out. <laughs> Look, one of the fascinating things, and and again, if I'm Dana White, I'm a little bit bothered by the fact that all of these MMA retired MMA athletes essentially can't beat up the YouTubers. I mean, it's it's a different sport, but you know they sell themselves as you know they got great striking skills, right? It's it's a, they they all have BJ Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and some Muay Thai striking skills. This fight was I don't know if you saw any of the footage from this one. This one was interesting in that there did seem to be an attempt at some sort of guillotine hold near the end, uh-huh. and they had you know both sides rush in and you know start to swing on each other. So it did it did devolve into the full circus atmosphere, which is probably where it needs to go. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't have, I don't have the the interest. I just, it really, I, I don't get okay, it. I I'm going to wrap this one up though, because, you know. Uh, you know who, even who's going to be great though, Mike, is that wrestling kid that got off the school bus for the first day and poured two gallons of milk on himself, that, the video that went viral this week. Okay, and so the only real question is, okay, so baby Gronk's parents are, uh, are bleep bleep bleeps right yeah this kid's parents have done a beautiful job they rule that kid has presence skills and his parents have directed him towards developing truly amazing content for a seven-year-old he also so, has par- enthusiasm about the first day of school so they found a way to to harness <laughs> his love of wrestling and uh big personas and channel no. it towards something positive just imagine, no, I need both of these milks. <laughs> and he, now, now every day when he gets off the school bus, that's going to be the standard. That's that's the expectation. Lot, lots of milk being bought by that family. Okay. 
Uh, last word, fandomanalytics.com. Lots of great content.